Hey, it's Kurt, and I got a quick question for you. If you're free on Thursday, April 25th, I would love to hang out with you. We're hosting a meetup in Skokie's Westfield Old Orchard Mall at 6 p.m., and I'd love if you could join us. Paul and I will be there, of course, and we'll be doing a Q&A with Tactical Baby Gear's Beave Brody to ask him your questions live and in person. And my friend Nick DeSabato, author of Value-Based Design, will be there as well to talk to us about conversion rate optimization. It's free. I got you covered, along with our sponsors from Shopify Plus, Gorgeous, and Bold. You only need to do one thing. Register now at ethercycle.com slash meetup. That's ethercycle.com slash meetup. See you then. Here's a bit of e-commerce trivia. (laughs) Did you know that 9 out of 10 UK shoppers will abandon a store using US dollars? Or that if someone leaves your store to use a currency converter, 2 out of 3 won't return? Not showing the default local currency might be one of the biggest contributors to your e-commerce bounce rate. And if you ship internationally, a multi-currency app is an absolute must, and the folks at Bold make the best multi-currency app out there. Here's why. It auto-detects where your customers are shopping from and shows them their correct currency, so you don't lose them in the first second that they load the site. And of course, it also syncs real-time with currency databases too, so it's always up to date. But it has a few other neat tricks as well, such as rate padding. So if you set it to sync real-time rates, but want to pad the conversion by a few percent eh, to make a little for yourself, you can do that too. It also supports vanity pricing, which I think is neat. So if you want all your prices to end in, say, 99 cents, it could do that for you as well. And it's got all those features, but best of all, it's free. So I can't even offer you a special extended trial, because there isn't one. Just go to the App Store and search Bold Multicurrency. That's bold multi-currency in the App Store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and today we are talking about not just making more money with your store, but making your store more profitable, right? So if you have a finite revenue stream, maybe the way to make more money is not to sell more things, but to make your business itself more profitable so you keep more of every dollar, right? There are two two sides to every coin, more than one way to go about it, and This is a great way to do it because oftentimes when you hear these stories of like, this business in one year grew to eight figures, they're often, they not making money. Like they very well could have lost money in the process. And e-commerce with physical goods as a business growth model is exceptionally prone to this this unfortunate side effect of business growth. So joining me uh, again, yet again, is my my friend Austin Browner from Brand Growth Experts. You've heard him before. He is brilliant. He's also a fantastic guest because he also hosts a podcast that you should definitely check out, Brand Growth Experts. Austin, thanks for joining us. Hey, Kurt. Hey, man. Glad to be back. Thanks for for inviting me back. No, my, my pleasure. You have a standing invitation. There's a few people who have standing invites. It is a great honor. Austin, you're one of them. But up front... I want to. I want you to plug what you do because I personally don't necessarily know exactly what you do in the consulting side of your business. What the heck is Brand Growth Experts? 
Sure. So brand growth experts is uh, my my business that started a couple years ago to help established e-commerce brands uh, scale up profitably. And we do that in a couple of different ways. I have a, um, a membership, like a coaching membership, where I work with people one-on-one and help, help them come up with a strategy to scale up their advertising, to become more profitable, to hire a team. Uh, we got about 130 businesses in there right now who are, we have a, a community, a forum, and then we do one-on-one work together through that. I also have a higher level coaching program where I work one-on-one with kind of larger businesses and work with founders to build the strategy to help them become more profitable. Uh, and that's that's something I've been doing for the last couple of years. And I've got an event coming up in February where we've got 10 businesses coming in for two days to focus specifically on this stuff, which is building a more profitable business and scaling profitably. So it's just two days of strategies and tactics to be able to do to do that. Oh, that's cool. A limited, small, one-on-one weekend workshop. Any I have done, I've attended similar events, we'll call them um, like uh, camp style, bar camp style events, or um, uh, like our, what do you call it? Uh, our mastermind group once rented a house over a weekend and we spent three days just like actively working on our businesses. And that act of just literally physically leaving your business and your routine can completely change how you see it. Um, and oftentimes, like even just going to a conference, like someone will say something and I'll go, I'll suddenly go, wait, why am I doing that that way in my own business? And I'll write down, I don't take notes at conferences, right? I take action steps, right? Where I write down like, this is the thing I'm going to do when I get back home. And it oftentimes it's really just that act of leaving and getting outside your head that helps. Have you, it sounds like you do, um, you're not doing the hands work. You're not implementing things for people. You're giving them roadmap strategies, one-on-one advice, and I'm sure a bit of uh, armchair uh, therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So most, when, when I'm working with people, what I'll do is help them find the strategy and find the right people to, to put in place to grow their business. So a lot of them are, you know, when I say established, they're high six-figure to mid-eight-figure businesses. And they're most, most of the time, they need somebody to come in. They need somebody to, they need to find the right pieces to help them grow. So it's like the strategy is very, very important. And then once you've got that, it's like, all right, who do we get in here? Whether it's doing Facebook ads or whether it's redesigning the website or uh, hiring a VP of marketing, it's helping them find those those pieces. And, and you're totally right. Like the reason I started doing smaller, intensive workshops is because I've been to so many events, uh, great events, but they're really big marketing events where you leave with all these ideas, but it's always so bite-sized. It's like you get 30 minutes of somebody talking about how they did this crazy thing and that's all you really get. So you come back with a huge list of stuff to do and you actually, it can actually be stressful. You get back, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do so much when instead, if you can take those two days and be actually working and leave with all your action steps lined up, you can come back and make a huge, huge difference in the business by focusing on a few few key factors. That's kind of the reason I switched over to, to doing smaller events. It's, it's brilliant. And clearly, you're absolutely the man to tell us how to build a more profitable Shopify store. So let's start with the, the thing uh, that is stopping people from being profitable. Like out the gate, you, know, you build a business, you're building your audience, you're selling your product, you're getting more and more sales, and you're probably at a net loss initially. So what's the big reason? Why aren't stores initially, why aren't they profitable? So initially, I think that the biggest, the biggest reason why most stores don't have profitable growth is mindset, right? They come in and you start out and you've got this idea of growing at all costs. And I talked to a really successful uh, business owner who won one of the you know Shopify competitions and he was telling me about his business and they've been doubling year in year like every single year doubling or tripling for the last like five or six years and this last year they ran out of money and they had to go take a big line of credit and they had to figure out it really their business got stuck because they just ran out of cash and a lot of that happened because they weren't planning and they didn't have the mindset that they wanted to grow profitably. So the first real question that I like people to ask themselves is, you know, what are the odds that your business is ever going to sell for a life-changing amount of money? And, and to really get get real with that answer, 
because there are different types of businesses that you can be running and those businesses they, they they don't look the same and they don't have they have different strategies for success right so if you have if you've never taken any money from venture capitalists uh, or angel investors you're in a position where you might not need the growth at all costs type of plan. Uh, if you're on the other side and you're kind of what I call like a moonshot brand, companies like Casper, Warby Parker, uh, Four Sigmatic, uh, those companies have taken money from the outside investors and those investors need a return. So scaling profitably for them is sometimes it's off the table. The investors want growth as much as possible. But if you're not in that category, you don't want to follow the moonshot strategy, you want to figure out how to do this thing profitably. So at the end of the year, as a business owner, you can end up with a cash in your pocket, you you're financed well enough, so you can invest in the business. And you have a plan that down the road, you can either sell the business, or keep it and run into profit for yourself, and slowly work yourself out of the business. So uh, for me, the, the, the really most important thing is that you got to decide that you're going to grow profitably. And once you commit to that, you got to prepare for sometimes some potentially tough choices to get you to the point where you can grow profitably. I'm so glad you said mindset. Like there, there is so much about business that is reliant on your mindset. And I have experienced so many mindset shifts in the last decade. Um, and there's like mindset shift one is just to ask, is choosing to start a business. A majority yes. of people are uh, are employed. They have a boss. They go to work, and that's that, um, and that's fine. And then, but it is really like entrepreneurs over time become quite a bit different in the way they see the world, the way they approach the world. And then within that, I think like with maturity, with uh, growth, the, your mindset starts to change. Um, so what you're saying is like starting out, you've got. Uh, uh, two different but similar mindsets that lead to just like growth, growth, growth at the expense of profit. Exactly. So it's prioritizing growth over profit. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, you know what, what it is, it's, it's prioritizing growth over everything else. And that's, that's the thing that with some of these brands that raise a lot of money, they, they need to grow and consistently show growth so that they can make a case for an exit down the road. Uh, and, a very quick one that can pay back the investors. But if you are running this business for yourself and you're running this business to uh, provide for your for your family, um, and you want a business that will you know that's going to be around for a while, but it's more of a business that is built to support your lifestyle, then you want to make sure that you're growing, but growing with profit in mind, and you know the amount of profit in my, you should be taking enough profit that you can comfortably invest it back in the business and also comfortably take some of that profit for yourself. I was terrible at this. Uh, when I first, <laughs> like you said, like mindset wise, I didn't have any type of kind of financial profit goals when I first started out. I just wanted to grow. You know, I had, you know, first couple of years, we did almost like 500,000 in sales and really didn't ended up break even, um, no profit. And it's one of those things that Looking back, it's nobody talks about this when you first start a business. It's the revenue numbers are a lot more sexy. But as you stick around and you work with a lot of different businesses and you realize that you know, I'm, I'm more impressed by a company doing $3 million and taking home uh, you know, $750,000 in profit, that's really, really impressive than a company doing $20 million and bringing home the same amount. So... No one talks about this initially, but it's something that uh, mindset, if you decide this next year, you're like, I want to figure it out. I want to make sure that we are going to grow profitably. You can do it, but then you got to make some tough choices related to finances. So my, my step one is just to make the decision, we are going to be profitable. We're going to grow profitably. Step two then is what? Step two is to get your finances in order. Right, and if you're if you're going to scale up profitably, you need to have your finances um, set in a way that's going to allow you to scale and grow without taking on a lot of money. And first off, 
you need to figure out a market-based wage for yourself and for your team. This is one that most businesses, most business owners are paying themselves way too little. And uh, I've noticed that. It's like, it's like a weird guilt. (laughs) It's a weird guilt. And, um, it, I think part of it comes from the beginning when you start your business and you might not have enough money to pay yourself a market-based wage. So you get used to maybe taking on a little bit less. But if you're ever going to get to the point where you want to move out of your business the day-to-day, you got to think about what you would have to pay someone to replace yourself in your own business. And that is the market-based wage for your position. Uh, okay, so you go, all right, if I were, you know, I, I want my dream candidate, I want someone to replace me either for all tasks or me for this particular task what do i make on it and then say all right that's what this person should pay and without thinking about it in those terms like that's what i did in our own business for what um uh for how we pay um our team that's exactly yeah so you looked at each each person and you said what how how much would it cost to replace this person doing this role in the business that's a great way to look at it um, and, and in some cases, it was like, "What do I earn from doing this task?" Okay, that's what other—that's what I'm willing to pay. Sure, sure. No, and I think that it's one of those. It's a little bit tough to get to an idea of what a market-based wage is for your position because when you are, say, you're running a business doing two million dollars a year, an e-commerce business doing two million dollars a year, well. As the owner and CEO, you're going to have a lot of different roles besides just being the CEO, right? You're going to be probably CEO. You're going to be maybe the director of marketing. You're also going to be HR. There's a bunch of different roles combined that you are going to be filling. And so when you're thinking about market-based wage, you're going to have to think about all those roles that you cover, how much you would have to pay to get somebody to, to do all of those things. And so chances are you're probably paying yourself too little and, um, and that's okay, but you got to create, create a plan to get yourself to a position where you can pay yourself a market-based wage and then have the business profit on top of that. It looks really good if you're, if you're paying yourself, uh, you know, only 30 grand and then the business has, is very profitable when you should be paying yourself 120 grand. It seems like the business is profitable, but in real Really, it's actually not a profitable business. You are just paying yourself very little and it looks profitable. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, a lot of businesses do. Like, you're proposing, all right, this is salary, and then the money either goes back into the business. Um, The other way you could do it is um, uh, pass-through, where you say, okay, this is the percent, this is the amount of money we're going to keep, and uh, whatever's left over gets passed through to the owner. And that's like how an LLC is structured in the literal sense. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Even with, with, um, you know, I would, I would say looking at salary though, yeah, it's one thing you can kind of, you can, you should probably increase your salary. Just make sure that you don't get caught in that trap of paying yourself like 30 grand, 35 grand. Um, when you really should be paying yourself a hundred grand because IRS doesn't look that favorably on, on, <laughs> on that. Uh, but so for people who are, who are in this position, if you can't pay yourself a market-based wage yet without losing money, which when you're starting out, that's probably what's going to happen. It's okay. But just realize that your business is not profitable at this stage. And your goal should be to get yourself to a market-based wage so that you, ha- you have a profitable business and you are paying yourself the correct amount. So that's kind of step one. Um, once you get that, done and you've readjusted and you've you've looked at your business and said okay this is what i would have to pay myself uh to replace myself and now you find out that you know you might not be as profitable as you thought you were the next step would be to get your business fully capitalized and make sure that you've got enough money to be able to move through the next stage of your business and this is where a lot of people get caught um when i was telling the example earlier of the business that had to get a line of credit because they didn't have enough money in the bank. Um, this is where it can be tough, especially in e-commerce is you've got to place big orders. You got to figure out what during your worst months, how much money you'll need and then make sure that you have enough runway to in the bank to be able to pay for purchase orders, um, to be able to 
pay for all your employees, a good rule of thumb is like two to three months of, of runway. Uh, if you brought in nothing, you should be able to make sure you could pay every, everything in your business for two to three months. Yeah. Until like maybe eight to 12 weeks of, uh, fixed ex- being able to pay fixed expenses doesn't sound like a lot, but you like there. It is extremely unlikely that you will suddenly end up at zero dollars revenue for three months. So, exactly, <laughs> if there will be money coming in, that two to three month uh, runway will actually be more like six months, um, even if you were in like a a sudden recession or had some problem. But this speaks to the dark the dark part of e commerce, um, in terms of uh, trying to make it profitable, is that. You have to pay a whole bunch of money up front to get your goods to sell, and like developing new products is extraordinarily expensive. But so you got to you know pay a whole bunch of money to the warehouse. The stuff shows up, and now like you're sitting on this inventory, you have this asset, but the money's tied up in it. Then you sell it, only to then turn around and have to repeat the cycle again. And I've heard more than one merchant complain about like that that vicious cycle. It's 100% a vicious cycle. It's very, very difficult. And it's where it, like the number one rule of being able to scale profitably is just not running out of money. And this will help you not run out of money. You can figure out a way to in just figure out what, what worst case scenario is and make sure you got enough money if that hits. <laughs> and, okay. and prioritize that, that, if that makes sense. So that's, that's step, step one is, hey, yeah, love yourself, buddy. Pay yourself a, a living wage and make it uh, commiserate to your skills. You as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, don't undersell yourself. You are tremendously talented for getting as far as you did. So pay yourself accordingly. Step two then is, all right, so that we don't have to worry, so that we don't run out of cash, keep two to three months operating expenses in the bank, which includes like, hey, what's it going to cost to replace products? Um, did I exactly. get that right? Step exactly. one and two? Okay. Exactly. So, like, yeah, that, that, that's, once you focus on that, you figure out what you need for the wage, you get your business fully capitalized, then you should start taking a look. Um, one question that people always get is should I hire somebody? How many people can I hire? Uh, when should I hire? These are questions when? I hear how do I know all when the I time. Can hire? Yeah. How do I know when I can hire? And this is something that I, I struggled with when I first started uh, my business. I, I, had no idea when I could hire people. I just felt like, oh, it's time to hire. Let's hire somebody. I didn't really look at the financial repli- uh, repercussions of hiring somebody at a certain point. So uh, if you want to scale your business profitably, one of the keys is to make sure that you don't add more salary than you can handle during a year of growth so that <laughs> so that you're just wiping out all your net income at the end of the year. So one way to look at this is to calculate in advance um, where you want to finish the year in terms of profit or like pre-tax net income and set a goal for yourself and then calculate backwards what percentage of that you're going to have available for salaries. So here's a good example. Let's say that you you did $1.2 million this last year and you're looking at your projections. You think you're going to do about $2 million dollars this upcoming year. So cost of goods sold, let's say it's 800,000. So where you want to look at is you want to set a goal for yourself of at least 10% pre-tax net income. That's kind of the, a lot of people think of like break even as just zero, right? You break even over the year. The problem with breaking even is that if you break even, you're going to be if you're setting a goal to break even a lot of things can happen that leave you in a position where you don't break even and you might be 10 percent lower you might lose money over the year and it might go out of business or might need to take on more money so if you focus on at least 10 percent pre-tax net income then you can work your way through this and this is going to i'll try to explain this clearly but like let's say your goal is two million dollars in revenue that's what you think you're going to hit cost of goods sold okay. is eight hundred thousand of that if you wanted 10% pre-tax net income on the $2 million, that would be, you'd finish the year with $200,000 in profits, right? So if you've got that $200,000 as your goal and cost of goods sold $800,000 on $2 million in revenue, that means you've only got a million, you got a million dollars left that can be expenses and salaries. 
if you okay. know what you're typically going to be spending on marketing and on your expenses, some of those things are going to be fixed, right? Like rent, um, all IT, Shopify hosting, all those things you know are fixed for expenses. Then you can work that out and then figure out the amount left you have for your salaries. So let's say in this example, you've got a million dollars left between expenses and salaries, uh, 500,000 of that's gonna be expenses and marketing, and the rest would be salaries. So you've got $500,000 in salaries for the business, and you can't go over that for the year. Um, this would be a way to calculate out the amount you're gonna have to be able to pay out in salaries over the year so that you don't go over that and you can finish the year with profit versus finishing the year in the red because you just hired because you felt like you needed to hire. And that's the way I would focus on um, on salary cap. Uh, if you want more in depth on this, there's a really good book by Greg Crabtree. He talks about, it's called I think it's called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. He talks a lot about the salary cap idea and what that looks like, but it's really, really helpful to think about pre-tax profit before the year and forecast it in so you make decisions based on being profitable at the end of the year. And what was that uh, what's that resource? So it's called I believe it's called Simple Numbers Straight Talk Big Profits by Greg Crabtree. It's an excellent book and um, it's really helpful if you're trying to scale a if you're trying to scale a business somewhere in the six figure to low eight figure range because that's where it gets really tough that's where a lot of businesses run out of money it's you have initial success and you get to a point where you need to invest back in the business and you know you've grown to a point where you're doing five six million dollars a year and you realize it's going to continue to grow and now you need to re-up and invest in all your infrastructure that's where you can run out of money and so this that that book is really good for that type of uh that type of problem. If you're facing that problem, if you're listening to this, you're like, that's me. That book is going to be great for you. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, U.S.-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler, by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. So it's a, it, it's a good problem to have from the outside looking in if you're like not at six figures yet. You're like, what the hell? Like, how could they complain? Obviously, like it, that cash, it's, it's cash flow. Regardless of how, whether you're making 10 million or 100,000, cash flow pinching feels the same. Um, to try and put it in in perspective and make it relatable, the hundred um, percent. Uh, but what's interesting, and I felt this um, especially like probably like two two three years ago. Uh, there's so much info out there on going on starting the business, and then on going from zero to a hundred thousand, um, and then but there's really no info. Like no one writes to that that crowd of all right, how do you go from a hundred thousand to a million, and like and beyond it. That suddenly there's just a um, uh, a dearth of information, and so I'm thrilled to see this book. I will link to it in the show notes for people who are like, "Yeah, I've, I've been feeling that." Yeah, no, it, it's it's very true. Everyone wants to talk about that initial set up the store, get going, um, but then it gets to the point where it's like, "Well, what what now?" And you know, a lot this stuff is relevant right from the beginning too. Like focusing on being profitable right from the beginning is stuff that I wish I had learned when I first started my business uh, because it would make it a lot easier to have goals, revenue, go, uh, goals and targets that weren't just revenue numbers, revenue based. All right. Initially it's like, all right, I'm going to have a revenue based um, goal and that's good, but that's not the whole picture. And, you know, once you do this and once you've, you start working your way through the whole process, it, if you, you know, you want to pay your taxes, you want to pay off any debt, then you want to build up the amount that you've got in the, you want to build up the, the working capital that you have. So that I was talking about the runway, that's kind of the process that you should have. And then only after that, take profits out of the business. But that's, that's the goal. It's like taxes first, pay off any debt you've got, 
build up your working capital, and then finally after that, take profits out of the business. Um, and that's kind of the the idea behind the finance side. Once you get that figured out, then, or once you get get a plan for that, then you got to actually execute it, right? And um, the the main, if you're going to continue to grow your business and try to do it profitably, you got to have some sort of a method about it. And for, for from what I've observed from working with a ton of different businesses, you know, the place that you're going to be able to find more profitable revenue, it's going to be focusing on better customers and selling to existing customers. Those are the two places that you're really going to be able to find um, more profitable transactions that lead to an increased bottom line at the end of the end of the year. I would love to spend the rest of our chat just going over um, like more practical, tactical, quick wins because I think unless uh, well have you have you covered our your bases where we've got yes. like this is the the base plan. Yes, I think so. That's it. Okay. It's like mindset first. Look at mo- like get into money and start making a plan for how you can grow more profitably. And the last yep. thing is now okay. What are the things we can actually do to build more profitable transactions? So, and I, I know a lot of people want to just jump to that, but that's if oftentimes when you know, you increase sales, you're just going to get caught in that same trap. And if you've um, unless you have this this base written out, uh, Austin, have you read Profit First? I have read Profit First. Yes, another good when, an, another good example of a of different ways of thinking about taking profit before well profit first <laughs> you know well and i saw it's, it's two bucks the kindle version is two bucks so yeah may as well grab that one um i'm linking to that one in the show notes as well i haven't read it i feel like i have from the sheer number of people who read it and were like it's great um especially like early stage businesses seem to really get a ton out of it um, yes so we'll we'll go with that one all right in you've got you know, so you, you put all these, we, you took Austin's advice to heart. It's 30 days later. You've got these, these systems in place. You've got your new mindset hat on. Um, now, how do we add profit to this business? Sure. So, you know, first and foremost, in your mind, you've got to have a lifetime value greater than whatever your cost per acquisition is. First and foremost, it's got to be in, deeply ingrained in there. You got to think, how do we increase lifetime value so it continues to be greater than our cost per acquisition? Um, from there, you know, places that I feel consistently are undervalued and, uh, th- there's always opportunity for, for profit is first launching new high margin products. So the typical, the typical thing that I see is businesses start out, they get a product that hits and they start selling it and they're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. We can go on Facebook, we can acquire customers profitably and we're continuing to grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they hit some, you know, revenue number, whether maybe it's mid six figures or low seven figures with this cool product that they've got and they're doing a really good job with it. And they're like, well, how do we, how do we grow and continue to sell more of this product when really the best thing they could do is launch another product to their existing customers. So what happens, people get in the, mar- the, mind- the mindset of continuing to market the same thing when the best opportunity is to market a different thing to the same customers. So I would, I would really say focus on, is there something else that people would want that you can build and you can market to your existing customers? That's number one. And I would say, um, like survey people, try and come up with an idea, but absolutely validate it first. I have so many times seen someone with a super successful product and it, it's easy to let it get in your head that you're like, I know what my customers want because I, you know, I had this, <laughs> yeah. this brilliant success. Um, so clearly like I could do it again and it may make absolute total sense to you and then completely bomb. And that's like the worst feeling in the world. So even if you already have that success, please, please, please validate the product first and be willing to revise it, let it go and move on to the next thing. Um, 
And a great, if you don't know what to do, survey your customers. Ask them. See where those like their their current pains and problems lie, and what you can uh, what you could do to improve it. Um, the I'll throw in I'll throw my two favorites in there. If I someone says, hey, we want to make a more profitable store. All right. Well, we could sell more, but let's not add more customers. Let's not add more conversions. Let's focus on average order value. Can we um, can we do cross sells and upsells? You'd be surprised. Just try and sell people the same product again. Like, um, you know, a uh, simple home good, uh, like a keychain, you know, maybe it's 10 bucks, um, 10, 20 bucks for whatever this imaginary accessory is. But if I'm going to buy one, well, maybe I want to buy one for my wife. Maybe I want to buy one for um, uh, other family members. So offer them, hey, get a disc. You want to buy another one at a discount? Go for it. Like that could be a, just an easy no-brainer way to add value. Um, if you've got a catalog of products, Install right now. Go install Bold Brain product upsell, and Bold Brain will literally tell you here are the products people are likely to buy together. Do you want to create an upsell for that? One click done. You are now increasing your average order value. And then the second um, go to is hey, let's add predictable recurring revenue to the business. Offer subscriptions if that makes sense. Hundred percent. Those are those are two fantastic fantastic tips on the um, increasing average order value when you. Do that. Another thing you can do to increase average order value without creating new products is bundle your existing products. I was talking to um, my my podcast co-host, Andrew Foxwell. He was telling me a story about a company that he was doing an audit on their account. I think it's a, it was a deodorant company. And they were struggling to sell their product profitably on Facebook because it was low average order value. And then somebody on the team was just like, well, what if we just sell these in packs of six only? And, and that's what they did. They decided, okay, we're just going to package them and sell them in packs of six. And they went from an average order value of a, you know, a couple, I think five or six bucks to six times that. And they were actually able to do it and to sell the bid, sell the product profitably. So sometimes you don't even have to, um, come up with new products, you can just bundle your existing products. The two strategies that I've seen kind of consistently work are, you know, one bundle as much as you can and sell at a high average order value. So that way you have enough, you you know, you're going to sell fewer, but when you do, you're going to make more from them. Or the opposite is sell a low price, like free, like not like free-ish, not really free, free-ish or low-price sample that automatically leads into the next purchase. That's just like a no-brainer for somebody to buy. A lot of times you see this in skincare, right, where they'll, they'll give you like a sample for very, very cheap, knowing yep. that it's a really quite great quality product. And if somebody gets it in their hands and they like it, then they'll come back and the lifetime value on somebody in the skincare niche is really, really high. Um, so those are those are two things you can do, and I totally agree with you on some sort of launching some sort of recurring revenue. You can't just launch recurring revenue on something that's not a um, a product built for subscription, but sometimes you can rethink the way your business model works and add something that is built for subscription. You could do um, well, so like that a consumable good is obvious. So like the deodorant one, you know, you could do like upfront you bundle, you get a three pack, and then all right, let's say it lasts a month. Uh, you know, 30 days each, you're all right, every 90 days we'll send you another pack automatically. So you never run out of deodorant, right? Like that's an obvious one. An obvious one. A less obvious one that I've seen uh, be successful for people is taking a product that's not consumable and curating it and providing a curated experience in a subscription product. So the best example that I, I know of is Pure Vita bracelets out of San Diego they're a company that sells string bracelets made in Costa Rica. That was initially their initial um, product was string bracelets. And they continued to come out with more string bracelets. So they had a huge product catalog. They did some jewelry. And at a certain point, they had the idea of, okay, we wanted to move into more of a subscription type model. But their business is not, does not lend itself at all to subscription. You know, it's, it's string bracelets. So they said, well, what, what can we do? And they decided to launch a monthly box where they curate a look of three of their bracelets and give people a discount on them. So every single month, they have a stylist 
curate them, take pictures of how they look, and then you can sign up for, I think it's like 40% off and you get all three of those bracelets in a curated pack with a little goodie um, that comes in every single month. So they took a, a product that wasn't consumable, that typically is non-subscription, and through curation, they turned it into a subscription product and they have thousands and thousands of subscribers and that predictable revenue that uh, for, for them, you know, they can acquire somebody now at a much higher price point because people stick around and they stay on the, the Pure Vita box for, for months. That's, that's brilliant. I will link to uh, Pure Vita as an example uh, in the show. I will, oh, I found the monthly club. I'll link straight to the Pure Vita monthly club. Take a look. It's very simple and something that, you know, even if you didn't believe that you had a subscription opportunity in your business, um, you might be able to, to, to find an opportunity there. Uh, the one other you know, big focus, if you're looking at this next year and you say, okay, we want to be more profitable. We've got a goal. We want to hit between 10 and 15% pre-tax net income on our revenue. So a nice, healthy, uh, business. One area to to look at is to really dive into looking at your customers and seeing, figuring out the difference between your average customer, your best customer, and your worst customer. You'll probably be blown away by the, I can almost guarantee you'd be blown away that your best customers are going to spend the vast majority, the vast majority of your profits is going to be coming from a small group of your best customers. And the average and below customer is probably going to be losing you money or making very little profits on these. So one, one thing you can do is figure out where your, what channels your best, your best customers are coming from, what ads they're responding to, and start tailoring your messaging towards your best customer. A good example of, um, of this is bonobos so i don't know if you've ever been to a, into a bonobos um one of their guide shops so oh, that's i didn't know they you, had shops i got a few bonobos items they're very nice they're very nice yeah and they've got these these really great shops uh in you know new york austin la i'm sure there's one in chicago they they've kind of popped up all over and when you go in there the first thing that you see are suits everywhere because they realized that They've got a huge difference. There's a huge difference between their average customer and their best customer. Their best customer comes in and they will totally overhaul their wardrobe and they'll buy three suits, uh, shirts, pants, and you know, spend five to eight thousand dollars in just one go overhauling their their wardrobe. So when they, when they rolled up their guide shops, they said, okay, we're going to focus on our best customers. So when you go in there, they're in, the experience is great. You go in, they can measure you, they find the right clothes for you and they'll get you all set up in a suit or others, you know, other clothing as well. Uh, but the main focus of that, of that guide shop is to get the high value whale customers to have a great experience and, and place an order with a very, very high average order value. So you're not seeing many shorts in there. You're not seeing many swimsuits. Uh, if you're looking for a pair of swimsuits, so that's not the spot for you. It's really tailored towards your best customers. And, and that's where you're going to find a lot of your profit is going to be figuring out what channels those people are coming from, what products they're buying, and maybe cutting down on some of the marketing that's bringing in the low value customers and increasing the marketing for the people who are higher value. I love that you gave us the, so the initial idea of, Hey, just get better customers, stupid. Like it, it's such an, it's easier said than done, but then you totally gave us the method to do it is look at your products and figure out, all right, which of these products bring in the, um, the customers with the highest lifetime values. And that's when, I think that's really what we mean when we say the best customers, right? That is. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, where I see some of the issues with our marketing space for, for a while, it was a couple of years there where it was just, everyone was talking about free plus shipping offers, free plus shipping offers. And oh, every, huge. every conference you went to, you know, people were just shoving that down your throat as the way to grow. The problem with that is oftentimes the people you attract with free plus shipping offers aren't the customers that are going to be 
high lifetime value customers. So if you've got, if you're running a free plus shipping offer or you're running uh, an advertisement with a steep discount on Facebook and you're bringing in a lot of people, just go in, look at your transaction data and try to figure out, you know, am I bringing in the people that are in, that have high average order value that are going to come back and make repeat purchases? Or am I bringing in customers that are just inflating our revenue numbers, but not giving us any profits? Uh, And that's, that's more common than you'd expect from from winning off, from quote unquote winning offers that they might not bring in that type of customer that will lead you to being able to end the year with a, a nice hefty amount of profit in your business. Okay, uh, final question for you. The one that is, it's a tough one. Give us a guideline. How much should you spend on marketing? How much should you spend on marketing? No, I still a, don't know. This is a great question. Um, so what? <laughs> this is a great question. And the reason we talked so much about money and finances earlier is because you need to have a marketing budget. But your marketing budget, if, you're, if your marketing budget is pushing you into the red every single month, that's not sustainable. So the way that I look at it is this, and you'll hear a lot of people right now in our industry talking about you should spend 20% of your uh, revenue on marketing, or you should be, that, that's a really common thing you've probably heard. I think digital marketers been talking about that. Ezra has been talking about that. So when you are doing financial forecasting, you're looking forward over the next, over the next um, year, I would take a look at, you know, get yourself profitable. That's step one. Make a forecast that allows you to end the year with 10% pre-tax net income, at least. And then within that, build in your marketing budget for my recommendation is somewhere between 10 and 20% of your revenue going towards marketing. Uh, That's what I've seen kind of consistently be a number that is sustainable to be able to grow the business profitably. And um, enough to actually to scale it up. What's going to happen though is that if you're in a position right now where you're breaking even at the end of the year, you know, you're breaking even or losing a little bit of money and you're not paying yourself enough, it's going to be really hard to get to a level where you're spending 10 to 20% of your revenue on marketing. So you're going to have to just have some patience here and set some of these things as goals. And, and don't immediately go to 20% of your revenue as marketing spend. Work your way there while trying to trying to pay yourself more um, and try while trying to set a reasonable salary cap for yourself and your employees to be able to end the year profitably. That's, that's my take on it, uh, somewhere between 10 and 20%. Because frankly, like, most e-commerce businesses are just marketing businesses. Right? Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is um, it's transactional. You need to get someone's attention, get them there, sell them the product, and then do it again, right? I mean, that when you you break it down to its core components, it is not a complicated business model in any way. It's only once we start to scale up the idea that things get a little little hairy. Man, I my biggest takeaway here is your your practical methods of increasing e-commerce profitability is, and your, your methods for, hey, let's identify those best customers. Hey, let, let's bundle up products. Um, like I, while, when you said that, I said, oh my gosh, and I, I took a note and then I, I shot a note off um, to a, a, a friend and client who sells uh, in, uh, beard oil. And I'm like, wait, why don't we just offer these as like a three pack? What are we doing? Because it's always, when you have those inexpensive products, and you're you know looking at your your Facebook return on ad spend. Oh my gosh, you could lose money on the first purchase, and then you're hoping that you get the multiple purchases later. That you what well, I have experienced a mindset shift. Thank you, Mr. Browner. <laughs> good, good. That's exciting. I mean, that's that. Hopefully, you know, I really feel like if you are running a business and it's you know you're in you've been in it for a couple years and you're you're still kind of in that really hard grind mode. Hopefully, you can experience a mindset shift and say, you know, we want to finish, we want to have a profitable year this year and we want to increase the amount we take out of the business while also growing is they're not mutually exclusive. It just takes a little bit of for like 
foresight and um, a little bit of planning. And uh, there's there's lots of ways to do it. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I, I think that it's it's something that's that's relevant for all businesses, not just e-commerce. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's exciting, man. Thanks a lot for having me on and and, and chatting. And it's always fun. Austin, I appreciate you. Likewise, Kurt. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on the show soon here. Uh, yo, yeah, um, I got to get on get on brand growth experts. Uh, <laughs> or what? Uh, what's the name? What? What's the name of your podcast? It's just completely... So it's e- the E-Commerce Influence Podcast. Right. E-Commerce Influence Podcast with my co-host, Andrew Foxwell. I think, honest to God, I think that E-Commerce Influence is probably the best e-commerce podcast out there. Thanks, man. That's a re- that's an awesome compliment coming from you. Yeah. I, yeah. As the, the host of a, a not unpopular podcast, that's... Uh, We've that's got a, we've, a good, good we've got a lot of crossovers uh, listeners. I always talk to people who are like who are listening to you and also listening to us. So it's uh, it's awesome to kind of go back and forth and uh, and and share and uh, share the stuff that we learn, man. But yeah, no, I appreciate it. If you guys love, you know, if you want to listen to e-commerce influence podcast, you can go check it out ecommerceinfluence.com. Um, try to go out weekly, sometimes twice a week if we're lucky. Uh, but it's a lot of work to go twice a week. So it only happens maybe once a month. It's in, I have put e-commerce influence in the show notes. If you like the show, I promise you will like e-commerce influence. Austin, thank you. Thanks, Kurt. Hey man, talk to you soon. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable feature pack theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code podcast20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial shopifypodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.